today on City Cash Chicago. Chicago was recently voted the second best city in the world by Time Out. I mean, if you ask me, we top two, and it's not two. To help me look back on some stories from the best city in the world, freelance journalist Natalie Frazier and Xavier Ramey, the CEO of Justice Informed, a social impact consulting firm. It's Friday, July 15th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is City Cash Chicago. Can't believe I'm on City Cash Chicago. <laughs> I appreciate you waiting until she started recording to say that because that's really nice. Natalie, Xavier, welcome to CityCast. I appreciate y'all being here. Yo. Thank you so much. When I looked at that timeout survey, uh, not only was Chicago voted the, the second best city in the world, but it was also voted the, the funnest place in the world and the fourth most resilient. Uh, Natalie, what makes Chicago, you know, maybe in your opinion, the best city in the world? The people, man, we're, you know, like you said, resilient, working class, uh, you know, we just, we look out for each other, right? Uh, I'm sorry, my dog is kind of going crazy. I don't know if you want to <laughs> uh, skip over to Xavier for a second and I can jump back. It's all good. It's all good. Um, so, so I think Chicago is the best city in the world. I might be a little biased on that because I'm a Chicago native, but um, I think the things that really make our city uh, the greatest, uh, when we think about what resiliency means, that means that we are we are living despite the odds. And that neighborhood feel that Chicago has been known for, I do believe that that creates such an incredible draw because we have these cultural enclaves that are still in existence that you find these meccas of food, of culture. Even as they change... Even as they gentrify, even as people get pushed out, there are still, like you said, these these cultural and social institutions, whether they're restaurants, whether they grandma house, right, whether it's the corner store, certain pockets um, across our neighborhoods that still exist. Natalie, I, I won't bring you back in. You were saying, you know, what makes Chicago the best place in the world for you? Like I was saying, just the neighborhoods, you know, uh, and for me, it's more like the traditions, right? Like my grandma has been on the West side, you know, she, she moved from the Robert Taylor homes to, uh, to the West side and just like those, you know, the porch, right? Like standing on the block, kicking it, you know, to me, that's where like the magic happens in the city, right? Like I'm that kind of West sider. I just like to go from porch to porch. Right. And that's, that's where the city really shines for me. It's just the conversations we have, um, the intergenerational love, right. Um, and just people staying close. I, I love saying I can, you know, I can go see all 10 of my cousins right now, you know, and they all <laughs> live within like 20, 25 minutes of me. So I think that's that's awesome. Hey, it was it was some dope cities on that list. Talk about seeing the world. But uh, always until the day I die, Chicago it, is sure. number one for me. Let's get into the stories that were really on our hearts and minds this week. Uh, Xavier, I want to start with you. What was that Chicago uh, top story that you were paying attention to this week? I was really looking at the launch of the Universal Basic Income Pilot Program. Mm -hmm. Long time in the, in the making. Yeah, the mayor approved it back in, um, I believe, September. And so that just recently launched. The reason why I think this is really important and it should not escape a lot of Chicagoans' uh, view this week or any, you know, any of the weeks moving forward, if you look at the rates of of who got into that program. Now, I will say that it was a lottery-based program. There were tens of mm -hmm. thousands of people who applied and only 5,000 people. 176,000 people 
apply for this. And, you know, to say it launched, right, the first 3,500 checks went out this week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and like you were saying, only only five thousand people getting checked. Right, and the, and the vast majority of those people live under the the poverty threshold for a family mm-hmm. of four, which in Chicago is only about twenty six thousand dollars. Twenty six thousand yeah. dollars for four people in Chicago was a threshold for the majority of people who qualify for this program. Affordability in Chicago is becoming more and more of a problem. We just saw this last week that um, in the inflation rate for the U.S. hit. Uh, a high not seen since the early 80s. We're at 9.1% inflation. A lot of companies that are employing people aren't adjusting those income, those those wages uh, with cost of living adjustments. This is going to be really interesting. I'm going to be watching the data on this to see how does it impact the quality of people's lives. Given that $500 a month is not a ton of money, but when you're talking about the 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 reality of adding, um, you know, essentially an extra $6,000 a year onto someone's pay who is currently making $26,000, you're talking about pushing them into potentially a different type of, of, of quality of life, though it is still at the poverty level. Chicago uh, is a city that we talk about it being for the middle class. What we really have in Chicago is two different classes. We have wealthy people and we have very poor people. So I want to see if this pilot can push more people into the middle class. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen smaller pilots around, around the country and, and other cities. And generally the information shows when you give people money, they spend it on the things that they need, food, right. transportation, the things that, like you said, with inflation are, are getting out of pocket for all of us. Natalie, I know you're watching this as well. For sure. For sure. Like, I mean, the the evidence in the cities is, I mean, you know, it just makes sense, right? You give people money, Mm -hmm. their lives are going to drastically improve. Exactly. And I'm I'm hoping that we can expand this. We've seen it even with Cook County and uh, them coming out with their own plan to to try a basic income pilot. And I think we're moving closer and closer to a universal basic income, not just as these small individual studies, but recognizing um, it, it really is to to the betterment of of our city and our society at large. Uh, Natalie, what's that story that that you really were following this week? Yeah, I mean, you know what? This is on the same kind of tenor as like quality of life. Um, the tribe recently reported on Mohawk Johnson being let off of house arrest after two years. Um, and uh, I actually recently reported on the electronic monitoring situation in the city with yeah. Matt Chapman and the tribe and the Chicago Reader. And we talked a lot about, you know, just kind of the trauma that comes with this program that's supposed to be helping folks, right? That's supposed to get be getting folks out of the jail. Um, and I think that's just something that folks need to be paying attention to. I think we're sold this idea that, Electric monitoring is, you know, a, a gateway to like, you know, folks being, you know, free, you know, or or having a better experience in the carceral system. And I don't know that it, it is that right now. Exactly. For people who may not be familiar, Mohawk Johnson was arrested, I believe, in August of 2024, allegedly um, like using a skateboard at a anti-ICE and defund CPD rally. Um, and like you said, he was put on electronic monitoring. His cases continue to kind of be pushed down and down the timeline. Um, and, and his story has been chronicled. People have tapped in and he. You know, I think Leor asked him from the reader, you know, like, you know, how do you feel? And he was like, I think most people expect me to be happy, but all I feel is a great sense of loss that the, the world has gone on without me. And I think his story really reminds people in your story about the, 
what living with this electronic monitoring system is like. He's talking about dozens of false alarms. He's saying when he hear alerts and he feels his phone vibrate, he remembers the trauma of like him laying in bed at night and having to hold his leg off the side just so it doesn't go off. Because if it goes off and people suspect him, you know, of evading being at home, he could be arrested. He could be thrown in jail again, drastically altering his life even more. Yeah, I, th I think you know, ankle monitoring has been around for some time. Um, ankle monitoring was 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 created primarily as a diversion tactic out of the jails, as you said, Jacoby. But it is also a reformist reform. It is not a revolutionary reform. It, it makes the home itself uh, the jail. Um, and and as someone who has who has housed a family member for nearly two years as well, who was on um, electronic monitoring, I know how challenging that is, even for myself, like, you know, knowing that the sheriff could come into my house at any point in time, they're interrupting work schedules. This is this it, it, it's it's so um, dysregulating for your life, not only the life of the person who's on an electronic monitoring bracelet, but also for the entire family unit that is there because they are now also under government surveillance. Mm -hmm. Natalie, from your reporting, do we have a sense of how many people in Chicago are currently under electronic monitoring? Yeah. So according to the sheriff's office, you got like 3,000, they've had 3,000 people in the program at, at one point at peak, and that's probably like a thousand or so now, but it, it you know, it changes almost daily. Um, and in the tribe piece with Mohawk, uh, Mohawk really just talked about how the city kind of told him like, hey, we didn't have enough information when we put you on EM, sorry, you know, but if you, if you even go to like Mohawk's YouTube and uh, you'll just see in the comments, like folks from different cities talking about like how they're experiencing the same thing. And I think we really don't have a good idea of the scale of like these alerts and these alarms. One thing we like to do with every Friday show is is make sure we're drawing attention to those stories people might not uh, call wind of. Natalie, what was that story for you this week? Uh, so mine was the community safety town hall report. So I don't know if you all heard about those community safety town halls that took place, what, like a month and a half ago at like different regions in the city, Northwest, West, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, the mayor kept talking about this report, which I didn't believe was going to actually come out, but it did. And um, <laughs> Me neither for right. Me neither. I'm like, okay. But one key takeaway is that residents overwhelmingly want a community safety hotline. It was like something like 83% want a hotline that they can call where community-based violence prevention centers, community members will answer their call. Um, the South Side didn't, didn't actually want any increased police presence at all, you know, according to the community safety town hall presence. And the West Side uh, did not want any more funding for police, right? So I think we have these ideas that like Black folks, especially older Black folks, have this, you know, this this connection and this relationship to the police. But I don't think that report reflected that. And I think as someone who attended two of those uh, safety town halls, there were a lot of older folks there. So I think these findings are really surprising. Um, it was also another key takeaway was more people wanted funding for la landscaping and cleaning the block than like private security cameras, right? Um, people wanted grocery yeah. stores. I think uh, people in the neighborhoods that are being afflicted by violence have a really good understanding of why this violence is happening. And I think we don't 
don't give them and ourselves enough credit, right? Yeah, it wasn't increased police. It was budget and reform uh, within our police system. Um, And and one of the things that if a person scrolls down to like those maybe last uh, like uh, 10 or so pages, um, a few things that I noticed. One, for a city as large as ours, with as much entrenched problems as we have, when I look at local clinics, there are five on here. Three million people that live here. Across 77 community areas, 200 plus neighborhoods. And so if you scroll further down, this gives you the numbers to all of your alder people, to all of your police commissioners, your district commissioners, uh, all their emails. Blow them up. Blow them up as much as possible and continue to ask these questions. Continue to let them know that, as Natalie said, um, we know what we want. We know what makes our communities better with so much focus on public safety Listen to the public on what it wants for its safety. And so uh, I appreciate the city for putting it out. But but like you, um, I'm I'm going to continue to be breaking this down. Um, we also have a you know, the mayor, uh, Lori Lightfoot, is 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 going to be bringing in a uh, another meeting around the question of the Chicago budget in the next several weeks. She just announced that she wants to conduct another sort of town hall around the budget. There's going to be a survey that's sent out to Chicagoans. Please do take the survey. But I just want to bring back to the results of this town hall around community safety, because last year, when Mayor when Mayor Lightfoot conducted the citywide budget survey, over 80% of Chicagoans said that if you need to cut something, we ask that you cut CPD's budget. What did the mayor do? She increased the budget. She gave 12 more money. This is the question where we say, hey, the city is speaking. We need to know what the mayor is going to do in response. And so I just want to couple this question around community safety and people speaking up with this really important conversation around the city budget and the election that's coming up as well. Big facts. Uh, Xavier, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, What's that underhyped story for you that you want to make sure people paid attention to this week? Oh, DCFS. DCFS. Um, You know, um, my day job, I I run a social impact consulting firm and and everything that we deal with related to diversity, equity, inclusion and corporate social responsibility and philanthropy, all of this stuff is intersectional. And so when I'm listening and hearing that DCFS is having challenges in placing um, all almost all of its foster children, but also those who are the most at risk, those who are having some of the greatest challenges. I also raise my radar up because I know that where you affect the children negatively, you're creating a downstream effect on our labor force. You're creating a downstream burden on CPS because they have a mandate to educate children. All of this is connected. And so the challenge here and the story that I think people should be following is the fact that that right now we have um, uh, court mandated um, uh, requirements that DCFS place uh, foster children within a certain period of time. DCFS is not doing that um, for many reasons. I advise you all to check out the articles on this. But um, the, the thing agency's that- director has been held in contempt of court 12 times so right. far this year for, for failing to for play, to place people and has. Eight children have died since December under um, DCFS. For people who might not be familiar, the Department of Children and Family Services. Right. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And their budget was just increased. Now, here's the challenge. They've 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 opened up, I believe, 60, 60 more beds, so to speak, this year. 60 beds. Now, there are thousands of children and young people who are waiting for housing. They the Department of Children and Family Services sent a, a statement. And said that, you know, they're deeply committed to protecting vulnerable children and strengthening families um, and that they can't really comment on the case of the the, the young child who passed away, Am- uh, Amaria Osby, uh, because of ongoing litigation. Um, 
But again, I think the numbers and the facts bear out that they've not really invested in creating a sustainable system inside of DCFS and building the necessary infrastructure outside of the agency uh, to support it. At the end of every Friday show, we like to to give the people some good news to get them through the weekend, to get them through their day. Uh, most times we sing it, you know, some good news oh, <laughs> for the people, right? Y'all want to give it a try? Y'all want to give me some, y'all want to give me a little no, note? I, can, I can't sing. I'm sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> ain't even going for it. Uh, so, Natalie, what is your some good news for the CityCast listeners today? Uh, you know, I, I always like to shout out the hometown hero, Joe Fresh Goods. He did a little article with um, the COVID tour, like a fashion blog. Um, he's just talking mm-hmm. a little bit about his inspiration. And it's cool to see how people live art. You know, I'm a West Sider, so it's always cool to see West Sider shining and continuing to put the best side, putting the putting the West Side on. So Joe did a little like closet tour with um, uh, the COVID tour like blog. Y'all should check that out. I got my Joe Fresh on right now, uh, and I tend to have you know some type of uh, fresh on me when I'm when I'm out and I'm moving around. But shout out to Joe continuing to push Chicago on, and I'm gonna give y'all that West Side Best Side today because it's both of y'all and it's just me. I th- yeah, West Side I th- is represented. It's an easy rhyme, so I can't I can't even say nothing to it. Like South, what we gonna say? Oh, uh, <laughs> Xavier, what's your some good news for the people today? Come on, man, you know, you know what's happening on Saturday. On. You know what's happening at Oakwood Beach. On Saturday, oh, the Silver I've been Rose doing ass for it all week. I oh, think it might start at the beginning of this episode. Listen, I'm about to get papered <laughs> up, lined up. I'm going to be so fresh in these streets, man. The Silver Room block party is back after two years. Um, if y'all remember the last block party, this is sort of like the Mecca moment of black culture in Chicago in many ways, outside of like the chosen few uh, uh, picnic every year and a couple other spots. Um, but I'm super excited about the Silver Room block party. It's going to be interesting because it's a block party. They moved it to the beach. Because it was in Hyde Park mm-hmm. for a couple years, but hey, man, that last time I was out there, that thing was wall to I, wall. I couldn't even walk. I came in on Harper, too, and it was packed. just. I was standing. Nah, I think I was like by Pizza Capri, just off to the side. Like I Chipotle ran out of chicken, man. <laughs> I was over there. They ran out of chicken last time. I love that we immediately go from the best side to the good news being being on the south side. But, you know, that's what I mean. Now you're gonna be out at the block party. Man, I'm I'm a I'm gonna be on the west side. I'm having my house warming on Saturday, but um, okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to Sunday, miss it. Sunday block party, <laughs> right? I might pop she out. Said, I'm gonna be on my block. It's a two day joint. You go to church, you go to brunch, bougie brunch. He come to the block party. Yeah, I'm, I might have to hit it on Sunday. <laughs> nah, for sure. Oh, uh, you know, for people who you know got some time on saturday before they hit up the block party my some good news for you is the south shore nature sanctuary celebrating 20 years this saturday from one to four they was going to do it a couple weeks ago but they finally going to have a celebration with tours of the nature sanctuary scavenger hunts there'll be music um we had a great time going out there earlier not only learning about the history of the nature sanctuary but the fight to save it not only from the pressure coming from the obama uh presidential center um over in Jackson Park, but also the potential Tiger Woods golf course. And so the fact that it's celebrating 20 years that people are still, you know, going so hard for it, I'm always happy to shout them out. So I might be able to stop through there before I hit up the block party on Saturday. Um, It's such a beautiful place, and I hope that we can maintain it as long as possible. One more shout out for one of Chicago's best freelance journalists, Natalie Frazier and Xavier Ramey, the CEO of Justice Informed. I appreciate y'all for stopping by CityCast Chicago. 
thank you, thank so, you so much, much. Jacoby. This is awesome. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Before I let you go, I just want to thank all the people who voted in that timeout survey, naming Chicago the second best city in the world. One of the reasons we got that ranking is because we just got hella things to do. But if you're having a hard time figuring out what you want to do, check out our CityCast Chicago Summertime Shot bucket list at chicago.citycast.fm. I got to thank the people who make CityCast Chicago possible. That's lead producer, Carrie Shepard, producer, Simone Alisea, our newsletter writer, Sydney Madden, the folks who make all our music that you love, that's Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg of the Mayfair Workshop. And of course, and as always, my last thank you is for you. But let's be real, it's because of people like you that Chicago is the best city in the world. I'll talk to you on Monday. Peace. The CEO of Justice Informed with his big ass mug. You know what? You know what? See, you can, they won't see this in the recording. <laughs> and this this mug says "Mama Bear" too. <laughs>